everyone, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. I'm your host. My name is Lena Ebujemra. I hope we've met before. If not, I am so glad you're here. On this podcast, we talk about hope. We believe in hope. We love hope. We believe that change is possible and that by God's grace, everything will eventually work out for good, even when we're not so sure about it here and now. Uh, today, uh, we're going to talk about hope for prodigals. And I, for one, have been looking forward to this conversation because it is needed. And if you are a Christian or if you're living in the world of a church, then you've probably heard somebody at some point talk about their prodigals. This is um, usually a painful conversation and one that has a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in it. But there's nobody better equipped to talk to us about this than today's guest. I've um, been thinking about Judy Douglas this morning as I've been thinking about doing this podcast interview with her and uh, just just a bit amazed by her story. I met her at a Redbud Writers Retreat, which is a writers group I'm a part of. And honestly, when I met her and I heard her bit about who she was, the only thing that sort of stuck in my head was that she was married to the president of Campus Crusades for Christ. And it's been in the last weeks as I've had a chance to watch her um, on social media that I've been able to see that she herself is a force to be reckoned with. Uh, she is uh, the editor of two Campus Crusade for Christ, or Crew Now, magazines. She's authored five books, one of which is the one we're going to focus on today, and I'll be giving away a couple copies of When You Love a Prodigal. And um, she speaks all over the world. She, uh, more importantly, heads up a group uh, she's founded and hosts called Prayer for Prodigals. She's going to tell us more about that, as well as how she does all of this and manages uh, to still love a prodigal and minister to her, not just her son, but of course her daughters and her family and her husband so well. So Judy, welcome. It's so awesome to have you. Oh, I am so glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me, Lena. You're one of the old timers. Uh, whenever I think of Campus Crusades, I think of an organization that has been around for a while. In fact, I still call it Campus Crusades for Christ. And I can't even remember what CRU stands for now. It's just nothing that it stands for it's the new name it's just cool huh you just well on the campuses they long ago didn't want to use the word crusade and so they just started calling it crew oh. and when the rest of the ministry caught up with that concept we went that makes sense we'll just be crew yeah. and it's it's easier i like it i i do i really like it 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 sort of has a hip feel which i think is is cool but Tell us a bit about your story. I mean, I've always, honestly, like, I'm one of those, like, admirers of crew, I mean, camp, whatever you want to call it. I just, I really admire that organization. I love its beginnings, uh, its leader. But how did you get connected with it? Well, I had come to Christ in high school, and when I went away to the University of Texas, I said, Lord, I really want to walk with God and tell people about Jesus and um, and just live a good Christian life. And it took me about a semester to figure out I wasn't doing that very well. Mm. I was dating a non-Christian and didn't have any Christian friends. And I'm like, help Lord. And the next semester I went back to school and God led me to Campus Crusade for Christ. It was quite small then, and but it changed my life. I met people who encouraged me to walk with God. I learned about how to share my faith. And I learned the most important thing, which was how to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Hmm. Well, your leader, Bill Bright, I mean, his story is pretty incredible, man of faith. And, and, um, and just I've had some glimpses of reading about him and his story early on, but his, the tone of what he set up has really stayed over the years. We're, we stay pretty consistently committed to that. When my husband became president almost 20 years ago now, uh, he said, we must make sure that we don't lose or change what needs to be there, what is the foundation of our calling. But then we must make sure that we're open to innovate and try new things to make sure we're being able to reach the current generations. And so we, we try and work at that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love what you guys are doing. Now, now you married your husband. I mean, did you both think you'd end up working? Did you start off as missionaries with Campus Crusade? I mean, my understanding from friends who have pursued, you know, mission or ministry lives there. I mean, you have to raise support. I mean, it's a huge step of faith all along the way. So was that sort of part of your game plan or did the Lord like, you know, dump you into this? Like, how did that come about early on in your Christian life? Well, I, um, when I was a junior at Texas, I was asked to join what was called student staff. And for two years, I was a student working part-time with with the ministry. And when I was graduating, I really felt God saying, come full-time. A couple of little problems when I was engaged to a young man who did not think that's what he wanted to do. And so I ended up breaking that engagement. And the other was I had wanted to be a writer and then a magazine writer and editor. And that wasn't going to happen in crew Mm. campus at that time. But so I, I rejected my dream and my, the man I loved in order to follow what I really felt God said. Bill Wright called me into his office when I was at our staff conference that summer, and he said, so you have a journalism degree? I said, yes. He said, well, we have this campus evangelistic magazine we're doing now. Would you consider coming to work on that? And I was like, seriously, I get to do that? And so for the next 14 years on staff, I worked on two magazines and lots of other materials with bill bright what an incredible privilege that's incredible that is i was gonna say you didn't look that old (laughs) (laughs) well i'm a little older than i look that's crazy though i mean that's what a privilege to have lived in those times and now to be again bridging towards the future um and yeah i love sort of what you're talking about which is like you give up a dream sometimes and you think you're like all right, God, you know, you're sacrificing everything for the gospel and, and God comes around and gives it to you. And of course, now I introduced you, you've written many books. You have had, you know, there may be days you're sick of writing, if I have to guess. Right. <laughs> now that I have my book coming out and I'm having to do all the promotional work, it's like, okay, this is, this is hard work. Yeah. The writing I loved because I love telling the story of what God has done. Well, and jumping right into the story that I want us to talk about and really the prodigal story, because you really, you, it's a cool book. And uh, I hope people who, um, I hope people get it, I, but I'd like the concept of how you did it. So tell us a little bit, for, let's, before we get to the book, tell us a little bit about, um, I guess the circumstances that led to the book. Cause I, I honestly, I didn't know your story till I started reading the book, but you had two daughters and you were married. You guys were in ministry and then you had an opportunity to adopt or to take a boy in, and it wasn't adoption at first. So walk us through a little bit of that, too. Well, 
it, I was really content with our two daughters and, and being more active in the ministry again as they got a little older. And, and, and God said to me, I'm going to send you a son. I went, hmm, not so sure I like that. And he said, no, really. And so I said, fine, all right, you can do that. And, but it years passed and nothing happened. And then we were moving our headquarters to Florida. And God said, when you get to Florida, someone will ask if you can take this boy. Well, I said, if that happens, Lord, then I'll know this is from you and not my imagination. We'd been there three weeks when a new friend said, do you know someone who could take an eight-year-old boy? Hmm. And, How old and were the your Lord, daughters then? Pardon? How old were your girls? Uh, they were at that time uh, eight and ten, nine and eleven, and um, and but we talked about it and prayed about it, and the Lord. It just took a long time. The county wanted more than we were willing to give, like to become permanent foster parents mm. for other kids, and we said no. So uh, the Lord just said, this is for you. I am giving to him to you as a gift. So he came into our house first as a foster child. Um, and it was kind of chaotic from the beginning. He had so many needs. We had no idea. His his mom had drug addict, alcoholic, lots of issues there, neglect and abuse happening in his life. And they finally took him from her. And, um, but he came in with lots of, lots of needs and we really weren't quite prepared for that. So it was challenging. And our daughters grew a little disappointed that mm. this wonderful new baby brother, young little brother wasn't going to be quite what he, what they thought, but we pushed through and, and sought to love him. But the abandonment that he had experienced led to pretty strong RAD, which is radical attachment disorder, which means nobody's been dependable in my life. I don't think you will be either. So I will not let you into my life. And it was challenging. After three years, they terminated his mother's rights because she had not done what she needed to to get him back. And um, we had to make a decision, which was not an, an easy one. Uh, because it had been challenging, but we really felt God said, I'm sending you this boy and he's a gift from me. So we said yes. And he said yes, because he didn't have a better option. And, uh, and he came to live with, uh, he became a part of our family and he went into middle school and the first three years looked like a simple thing compared to what started then. Um, and many, many issues with the school and kicked off the bus. Uh, he, he just joined a gang, anything he could do to act out and prove that we would abandon him like everybody else had. And it was hard. Well, you, you say there's a sentence that really stuck out to me, even in your introduction about, about this, it's just core belief. I think that probably is behind a lot of prodigals, but particularly I think with adoption and all of, you know, even taking in a foster child, but this sentence, but nothing would overcome his belief. And by the way, I, I'm going to read it in a second, but not just even, I, I, I felt like I connected to the sentence because I think so much of our Christian dysfunction as it relates to 
us being adopted into the family of God is rooted in this, which is the sense uh-huh. error, but nothing would overcome his belief that we didn't really love him. Okay. I love this. Right. And it, it was sort of like, it shook me into like sort of this, Oh my gosh, I do that with the Lord so much. Like why? All the time. Right. I mean, it, it really, you, you worded so good in that, in that like, it's easy to be like, well, I see what he's doing. Whereas I connected with that sentence so much, but I mean, I want to just slow down a bit the story because I'm, I'm intrigued by a lot of it. First of all, I mean, we think about prodigals. What Define prodigal, I guess, before we go on any further. Well, prodigal has a background of meaning extravagant and lavish and over-the-top kind of thing. And it has come to mean instead someone who... Mm, makes choices that are destructive or going to hurt themselves and others. I'm just turning to the page where I have my definition. (laughs) Take um, your time because, listen, because it it is a negative word in a sense. Well, I guess negative positive because a prodigal who's returning home is a good thing, but so much of prodigal is pain in my mind. And and yet the word itself, it's like we need to redeem it because it really started off as a really good word, right? A really good word. So I define it as a person who is extravagantly wasteful, lavishly reckless, abundantly profligate. Uh, and taking the meanings of the word and and use them to do the negative things in life mm-hmm. instead of what is a positive word. And most some people think, well, it's just a Christian who has turned away from the Lord, right. but th- that's certainly part of it. But there are many who, whose kids just walk away, turn away, run away, uh, make these destructive choices, and any parent can hardly stand that their child is moving in a direction which will lead them into unhappiness or failure or jail or death right and it's a scary place and and for you like this double whammy in that in a sense like so you you even before you adopted him like there's all there's a lot of tensions that that are in your story and that there's a part of you know the pragmatic unemotional part that's like man you didn't even have to take the the, this thing on you know the problem the weight of it on and and because you know you didn't like i feel like sometimes you know you have a kid you can't unkid the kid do your birth but here you you adopted this child who you knew would cause potential. I mean, he comes from a difficult background. And so you had a sense that maybe this would not be an easy road. But now it's like you sort of I think there's sometimes maybe this thought of, you know, I would imagine if you're going to adopt somebody that oh we're going to make a difference. And you're the president of Campus Crusades, for goodness sakes, like if anybody can positively influence someone, it would be your family. Right. And then now you're like, bam, wham, you know, one problem after the next. Was that humbling or was it were you angry at God in that season of like, Hi, this was supposed to be a gift, and now we're. I think at one point there was prison involved for a couple of nights. Like, how, what was your feeling in that tension? Well, it was a long journey. We're talking about more than fifteen years of of hard times. Um, there were good times in that, and but my feelings were inadequate. <laughs> I, we we can't seem to help him. He wouldn't let us help him. We tried so many things, and so that's hard. There is the temptation, and many Christians would go this way, is to to be ashamed yeah. that 
a child of yours would do this. And if you're in ministry, oh my goodness, you can't let people know. Right. And um, God just let us know that he was there. Um, And I just spent an awful lot of time on my knees because when everything you try doesn't seem to work, then you start praying more. I mean, you've been praying, of course, but all of a sudden you realize this is, this is my recourse is to go to God because this is beyond me. And, And God did some very special things in that one prayer was part of it. Oh my goodness. I just asked a few people to begin praying with me and then more and more joined. June 2nd is a day that he actually met Jesus. Mm. And so Mm. I named June 2nd a worldwide prodigal prayer day. And, um, you know, we can just name things whatever day we want. Right. So cheesecake days and ice cream days. I agree. I invented the Worldwide Prodigal Prayer Day, but it grew and grew because we had a website where people could come and it was safe because mm-hmm. you had to be invited in uh, still. And uh, they could come and post their prayer requests, mm-hmm. which would be nice to think, oh, there are people praying. But a lot of the people who would pray actually write out their prayers. And oh, so yeah. you get this community where they're supporting each other and praying for each other and, and encouraging. And for almost all of them, it's a fairly long journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most common questions you would hear from someone who loves a prodigal is, how long, Lord, how long does do we do this? And then will it change? And and we don't know what's going to happen, but and the length of time is usually not short. But when you're in it, with some other people Mm. and you can encourage each other and pray for each other. It's just a wonderful blessing. What, um, Um, how did you not give up in those? I mean, because I mean, the, the, he's, your son is doing much better now. Obviously we can talk about the, you know, the, the spoiler alert at the end. I mean, we can talk a little bit about that now, but in general, in the Valley, in the wilderness, I think your book is 90 days of grace for the wilderness because it really is a wilderness. And, how how did you not give yeah. up or feel like oh, he's never going to change? What's the point of praying to this fervency? Like your fervency increased, did not decrease over time. How did you not become cynical or jaded or? Well, because I was on my knees before the Lord. What, what because what God, God, how did God give you hope in those? Like, were there circumstances that would give you hope, or was it just His Word? It was a lot His Word. There were people. Yeah. Um, friends who were encouraging, but part of it was the gifts that God gave me from this boy. Mm. Um, I began, he had promised from the beginning that this is a gift. And I actually wrote an article a number of years ago called gratitude for a grievous gift. And because I, I said, God, if this is a gift, it is a grievous gift. It is a very hard Mm. gift. And it was only by, the grace of God that that you push through this really part of it was other people. Uh, one of the things he gave me, oh my goodness, um, our, Josh could not love us back for the longest time. Like oh maybe twelve years before that even became a possibility. But I needed to be able to go beyond just being a good 
caretaker and mother, uh, but to really love him. And one night God just, he just said, I'm going to give you my love for this boy. You're going to need it. <laughs> and which should have been a big warning, uh, but it was a huge difference. So I fell in love with the kid and, and that kind of love makes you able to push through and stick through, stick to something. And so I was able to do that, and that kept me going. He taught me so many things about love. For example, I wanted him to begin to love me back. And God says, oh, Judy, don't you know, unconditional love, by definition, doesn't require love in return or good performance or not doing what they shouldn't and doing what they should. No, love, unconditional love, my kind of love that the Lord gives is no matter what, it's unconditional. Huge, huge gift to receive is the comprehension of that. And how does that play Another, out, like specifically with like now in, in, in this era? Like we see a lot of, how do you love well when you disagree strongly with prodigal? Mm-hmm. I really believe, and this puts me in a little different place than a lot of people, that the key is love and grace, mm-hmm. and mercy, because God says in Romans uh, 2, 4, that what went draws people to him is his loving kindness. And when, and we're, you know, we're a mess. And he says, even in the midst of our worst sinning, he loves us and wants us to come to him. And so you have the, the Luke 15 story and the father eagerly waiting and watching for his son and he runs and welcomes him home. And and so those things are appropriate and necessary for them to feel welcomed and accepted and loved. Yes, they make bad choices. And so that forces you to make some choices. Mm. I don't choose to call that tough love. I just say we need to have good clear boundaries and uh, consequences. Uh, A lot of things they would choose to do will have natural consequences. Uh, My son did something not very smart. It really wasn't so bad. But briefly, he was arrested and charged with a felony for it. It was not. But it ended up putting him on probation for a length of time that was wonderful because (laughs) if he gets caught doing anything he was going to jail and there's one thing he knew he didn't want to go to jail and so um but that was a natural consequence we had consequences when he was 18 you can't do this before they're adults um you know we were happy for him to be at home and as he got older he was at home on and off he would leave some but um we said, all right, if you're going to be at our home, here are the, you know, the standards by which we live our, at our home and the way you show respect to us and our home. And he would, uh, for a while, just not go by that at all. And we would say, well, so you're choosing to move out. Uh, why don't we plan on that happening at such and such? He'd say, you're kicking me out? No. We're not kicking you out. You're choosing to leave because we had made clear what our boundaries were and what the consequences were. But you do it in a loving, um, gracious way, not in an angry or, you know, putting uh, guilt on them. They can have plenty of guilt without our help. And um, so 
it's it's a lot about just giving mercy, showing grace, the unconditional love, even as you do some hard things that you need to do. How um to- how do you deal with other members of the family? So like this, the emotional toll of loving a prodigal is heavy, I think. Um, and so now you've got, you know, your girls, and you know, tell us more about your girls, but like, how was it trying to walk them through this? Granted, they're not their kid, you know, this is not, they're not the parent of the kid, but they're part of the drama and the weight of it. And how, how did you just balance it all out? Well, I, I won't say we did it perfectly. Uh, we did not. Um, our kids are all very close in age. So like right now they are, they're older, they're 36, uh, seven and eight, uh, 36, seven, 39, but they're kind of like a year uh-huh. apart. Um, and, um, so they were watching this and, uh, mostly they were okay. The, probably the worst thing that happened was that he required so much attention, um, that he pulled me away from attention for mm-hmm. them and for my husband for a while. And I've had to ask forgiveness for all of them, mm-hmm. from all of them for now they understood somewhat. It, they didn't appreciate it. And the longer it went on, the harder it was for them to have him there. But they never got angry and mean to him. Um, they they were tolerant of it. Yeah. And later learned to really love him. And, and they have good relationships now. Wow. But it was, it was hard, and we did not always do it well. Have you met in your community um, with the website? Well, first question about the website. So how do you vet people? Like, how do you know it's not a spy coming to see what their parents are writing about them? You know, what's the process of joining your community? Um, it is an, an email to me yeah. and, um, and a person that works with me. You just on trust it the too. Lord that he's sending you the right people. And cause you're opening your heart right. a lot. I mean, this seems like a really open, vulnerable place to pray. It's a beautiful community. There are a lot more people than participate actively who are on the list because they come in at one point in their life and then things change. And so they don't participate as much. But And we're glad when things change. But it's growing all the time. And Do you feel like the most common themes that come out, um, fatigue, um, disappointment, or is it more like, I, I feel like what God has done for you, Judy, even hearing now is so supernatural. The amount of love he gave you for him. Oh, it, is. it really is. And it's birthed in prayer. I see that part of it. You know, I, I think in general, I would imagine that a lot of the moms who are showing up the prayer group, just the weight of it. How, what do you got, what, where do you turn to in your time of, of greatest need? What has been very sweet to you in terms of the scriptures to find strength and, and hope? Well, I mentioned Luke 15, um, that, that God will, he's the father and he's eager to welcome them back and he will keep loving them and doing that. So I, I go more than anything to what God is like. And I have a, a chapter on trust and a chapter on, uh, the promises, the promises are not, oh, the promises God's going to do this. They're the promises of his names of what God will be mm. like. Uh, and so when he says he's Jehovah Jireh, then I can believe mm-hmm. 
that he is going to provide. It won't always look like what I think it should look like. And, and so the whole, the most basic thing is to understand the person and character of God. So I talk about love, his love, and then how we are to love and his grace and his, his love, his grace, these flow through us. I talk about time. Time is his view of time. Remember, he lives outside of time. He operates in our time. But and, and so to realize we we can't stand that we have another day, much less 10 more years of this. And, and so we have to trust that God is working even when we don't understand it. So the whole basis of it is that we have a relationship with God who loves us and our prodigal. And he's just as much interested in this journey of not only redeeming that prodigal, but of doing the work in us that needs to be, to be happening. And I am so much not the person I was because of the work God has done in me because of the gift of this mm. boy. Oh, my goodness. I can imagine. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I love this book. I mean, I'm looking through it as you're telling us this and, it really, it's a book that can be used for any wilderness that you might be going through. So it's 90 days. So it's sort of a devotional, I guess, would you say? I mean, tell me yeah, a little bit yeah. more about the book. Because I think one of the things and even thinking how to, you've done what I'm asking, which is how do you encourage people who come weary? And you've created a resource basically to point them to the Lord and to point them to his word and his character. And so walk me through it. Like, what's the best way to use this book in your, what was your hope? When you wrote well, it is. It is presented as um, a daily devotional, and it's uh, page to two pages usually um, within each of the major topics of the chapters, and and then a, a couple of reflection questions. So the, to me, for most people, they're not going to sit and read the whole thing, though they might get overwhelmed with what God has done and is doing. But to each day to, to learn more about God's love and his grace and uh, the prayer. And it's got a whole chapter on different prayers and ways to pray. And then the key, two key things for me that, that are there in the end, one is to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's the one that gives us everything we need to take this walk, to live this walk out. Um, and it's, it's not an emotional kind of thing. It is just, he has said, Jesus said, I am going away, but I'm sending the spirit who will give you. And if you read John uh, 14 through 16, you'll be overwhelmed at all the things that the spirit does for us. He gives us power to live it. Yes. But he also gives us comfort and encouragement and wisdom and uh, reminds us of what Jesus said. And so the things we need, he gives. And then here's the key. The last chapter in the book is called Gift. Mm. Because of what a gift he is. And here's what I've learned from that. I've learned gratitude. And when he says, give thanks in everything, that's what has happened to me as a result of this. I have learned to say thank you to the Lord and all the wonderful things he does and that my son is walking well now and make it become a hardworking, responsible husband and father mm. overwhelms me with joy compared to where he used to be. But I can say thank you for that. But I can also say thank you for how hard it was to walk through step by step. And so when minor things like my computer went off this weekend, yeah. uh, <laughs> 
I can say thank you, Lord, in that. And after understanding that the power to live the Christian life is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the second thing that I know has changed my life more than anything is learning to say thank you to mm. the Lord and everything. What a gift Perfect. again from my. Well, and so I want to kind of finish with two sort of questions. Um, one, I sort of have wanted to ask from the beginning because you talked about it at first and I feel in some ways it was an anchor to your journey, which is you felt God spoke to you about taking in. We had a very clear yeah. sense of the Lord speaking to you. Talk to me a little bit about, um, how you hear the Lord speak to you. I know it's kind of, you know, it can be sort of, Christians can kind of argue how God speaks, but tell, tell us a little bit about how you do it practically. How do you hear God speak to you, whether it's about a prodigal or about where to go to college or what you're going to eat for lunch? D- dive into that for a minute. All of that, yeah. Well, to me, I, I don't hear a voice. Uh, that's, But it's, it's the still small voice more than anything. Certainly, I'm in the Word. And so I know things that God wants to be true for me. Um, and I pray a lot. I mean, I have, to me, prayer is not a, a grocery list uh, of things I want him to do. Prayer is an ongoing conversation. So when I go on long prayer walks on the beach, one of my favorite things, um, I, the first thing I say is, what do you want to say to me, Lord? And he is able, through that still small voice, to, to speak what he wants to say. Do I always get it right? Mm, probably not. But it happens not like all the time. And mostly, well, it's, sometimes it's just little things, but it's, a lot it's it's bigger things in my life. And so the staying in communication with him is probably the key because he says he will talk to us. Yeah. And he will do it through his word, but he will also speak to our minds, to our hearts, to our emotions, to our, you know, he's willing to communicate with us. And we get to have conversation, just like with a good friend or a a spouse, we can sit and talk with Mm. them. And he speaks. Well, and and when you have a sense, I mean, I, I mean, I think that's I think that's as critical because when you know that God has spoken to you about something, and in your case, it's a very specific thing that God said about you're going to get a boy, etc. And I I've had the same sort of promptings, I guess you can call them, but um, I feel like in some ways it's such an anchor so that when you do go through difficulties, it's like. You know, it's like when God shows up to Abraham and gives them a promise. And then 20 years may go by and he can kind of go back to, well, at least I know what God said here. And I think those are gifts from the Lord. Um, so I, I appreciate that. And I think maybe, I mean, you're going to share your information. If somebody listening has questions about that, I think maybe it would be a good thing, I mean, to send you an email and maybe probe a bit more into that. The other thing, I sort of wanted yeah. your perspective as a leader at the Campus Crusades and now everybody's talking about deconstruction of faith, some prominent Christians who have kind of turned their, you know, back on the Lord and, or at least their traditional faith. In a sense, those are prodigals, you know, how do you, what do you see happening in the United States among college kids right now and, and people that you guys minister to is, are there a lot of prodigals out there? Is it the exception or the rule? Give us this feeling of the overall, like what your senses of young men and women seeking the Lord, are they, running from him or is there roots of revival happening? Well, I would say that they're, they're 
actually, there's a great deal of interest in spiritual things on the campus. They have, in many cases, rejected the traditional, uh, whether it's Christ or, or other faith, uh, they are saying, but I don't want organized religion. I don't want rules and that kind of thing. Well, who yeah. wants rules? Yeah. But um, they're, they, but they care about spiritual things and they're interested in something spiritual that meets their needs. So uh, you look for the ways that you can engage them with truth, um, but at the same time where you start with um, what are their needs? What is it that they think they need? My husband calls it where you connect with them on a, a place of need, and and then you're looking for a way to present either from your own life or otherwise and talk with them about it. Uh, it's more like it's been in Europe for mm-hmm. years and that it takes usually longer conversation you don't just come like we've been able to do over the years and 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 present the four spiritual laws and they're ready to receive christ that still happens especially in other parts of the world not as much here but it does still happen here but you're looking for ways to grow relationship to discover needs to help come alongside them to show love to them those kind of things cause people to want uh, to mm. know the God who provides such uh, uh, meeting the needs of their lives and brings into their lives someone who cares for them. It like to that. me like the similar themes, whether it's ministering to college students or prodigals, is that it takes time and perseverance and patience and love. And I think we're such a fast, exactly. you know, digital, get it now, Amazon Prime culture. We want that to be faith. We want people to hear it, believe it, and run with it. And, and I, I think in some ways we, the church, are being sanctified by the Lord in this, in that we're, you know, we, you don't learn anything about God and his goodness and his character with quick fixes. And yet that's also what we're demanding. And so to roll up our sleeves and walk the journey with a prodigal or with someone whose faith is deconstructed demands so much more of us. And yet that's where it happens. That's it, where the work does. happens, it seems. I mean, I feel like there's so many similarities. They're going to, they're needy people. They know they are, and they don't even know where to look, and they've rejected the forms, and so they want the reality. And we can show them that, but it won't happen overnight. Well, and I think you said it best. I think um, somewhere I read that you've, you know, one of the themes that comes up in the book, recognition that those who love prodigals are also prodigals. And I think there's a humility in that, Absolutely. that we're no different than a prodigal or than, a per- I mean, my faith can deconstruct on any, you know, my computer breaks and my faith deconstructs, right? I mean, so it's like, so there's a constant, you know, d- thing that is going on in our hearts to, to, to draw us, you know, there's a battle to and from God. And I think you, you bring that up in this book so well of reminding us that the reason that we ought to love prodigals and should be able to understand, you know, there's so many similarities in looking at our own selves in the mirror. And I think that is really something that I see strongly in this book. I want to give away two copies to listeners today. Um, When you love a prodigal, 90 days of grace for the wilderness. I know for a fact that many who are listening have loved ones that they're praying for, that they're hoping for, that they're crying over and, and just a lot of pain here. A lot of people who, they're trying to love, but they're also hurt. 
And so maybe Judy, I haven't done this on the podcast, come to think, maybe you can close us in prayer. I think that might be specifically for the parents of prodigals who are hurting right now and for their kids who um, maybe long to come home, but don't know how, why don't we do that? And then I'll give them a, a, your, how to reach you and whatnot. And we'll wrap things up. Great. Well, Father, uh, thank you for each person who's listening and that you love them so much. And if any of us, all of us are truthful and honest with ourselves, we know Mm -hmm. that we're prodigals. And we are so grateful for your grace and your mercy. Oh, the mercy. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord. And, And I pray that you would remind us of that and how you have shown your love for us. And then, Father, you want to flow through us your love and your grace and your mercy to those in our lives who are in making bad choices or walking away or in danger. They do a lot of things that could harm themselves. And we who love them live more than anything almost in fear and despair because we don't know how to help them very well. But you will pour your love and grace and mercy through us. And I pray that you would enable us to put aside mm, our natural response, which is to be uh, angry or uh, condemning, pouring guilt on them, and instead enable us to welcome them and tell them that we're going to love them no matter what, even when we have to set hard boundaries And so I pray that you would draw us to yourself in such a way uh, that you will shine through us and they will see that there's something more than what they're choosing, that the path is not what it looks like to them. As my son said, the path is narrow and it's really easy to fall Mm. off. Help them to, to be wanting to stay on the path. Thank you, Lord, that you have promised that you will provide these things for us and that you are in the business of redeeming and recapturing the hearts and minds of those that we love who have walked away. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Judy. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. How can people reach you? Um. Well, concerning prodigals, the way is a simple email, prayerforprodigals at gmail.com. You can also, we have a Facebook page called uh, Prayer for Prodigals. There might be dots in that, I forget. We'll we'll, um, we'll have the links for people too, don't worry. And Instagram as well. And those are more we just post some things and people can converse with us but prayer for prodigals is where the action happens of of our uh, praying yeah i think you have a website judydouglas.com they can check out the book is out you can get it uh anywhere uh well it will be it will be (laughs) and and you guys can pick it up anywhere go on amazon or um any of the christian barnes and noble christianbook.com uh, two, I'm going to give away. Just email me. First two who email me will get a copy of this book. Um, this, uh, There is hope. I think that's really honestly your heart is, your story is a story of hope. But more importantly, Judy, your God is a God of hope. And uh, I am so... Well, well I'll tell you, I am so uh, glad that we serve the same God and that he loves prodigals like us. So praise God for that. Uh, it's been a great... Um, 
hour together. I will see you again next week. In the meantime, uh, go to our website, livingwithbower.org, for resources. If you're looking for Bible studies, if you want to connect with me, um, shoot me an email on the contact page. Uh, I can provide you any information that we went over, and we'd love to keep praying for you. So love you listeners, and we'll catch you again next time. 